Hey, I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening to our message. We strive each week to bring you relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To find out more about us or what's going on at the church, head on over to scog.com or download the app. Hope you enjoy the message. All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Go ahead and put your finger there. I'll be ready to rock and roll. We're going to cover a ton of scripture actually today for us uh, in, in this time. We're going to, this particular m- moment in Acts is so packed that I could spend probably a whole series just on this uh, chapter and a half that we're going to talk about today, but instead I've got 30 minutes. So hold on to your horses. Uh, all right. So just uh, buckle up, be ready to take some notes and be ready to explore this. This is a perfect, perfect opportunity. Uh, as we talk about the We Read Journal and we read groups and getting together over coffee with somebody um, and talking about the scripture, this, this is like the prototypical chapter in which there needs to be questions asked you need to delve into. You need to go, huh? What is happening? That is a perfectly acceptable realization when dealing with the scripture. Going, uh, that is, that's fine. Okay? And so wrestle with it. Get on the Facebook group and ask questions. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff going on with this, and uh, we want to have community in the scripture reading. And so as we jump into Acts chapter 8 today, um, we need to go there. Let's start with a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to explore your word. God, thank you for the gift of the Bible. Something we take so for granted that we get to hold the miraculous in our hands. Some of us have multiple copies of this miracle lying around our house. God, this morning, let us not take that for granted and see it with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. The Bible is several things. It is scripture. It's the holy word of God. The Bible is a love letter written to you and me telling the story of how God wants to be involved in your life. And maybe something you don't think of the scripture is the Bible is art. And this morning I want to show you how maybe this, the scripture is, it is the greatest book ever written, but it, it cheats. It has God as its author. Get that. But we see it as scripture. We see it as a rule book. We see it as how we'd apply. Okay, it says this. This is what I'm supposed to do. Boom, 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 boom. We don't sometimes see it as the beautiful art form that it actually is. And this morning we're going to explore that just a little bit. And I'm going to need a little help. Uh, with my friend Claude Monet. All right, I, I, went, I went deep into a rabbit hole this week of impressionist painting, paintings. Um, so my, my search history is full of baseball bats and Claude Monet this week. Uh, so it's a very interesting combination. Um, but we're going we're gonna to take a little look into the impressionist painter uh, Claude Monet this morning because as I was reading the scripture and looking at it and things were popping out at me, God was making these amazing connections to other portions of the scripture. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. And after the fifth time of going, what? How is that tied together? I went, okay, I got I to step back from it a little bit. Think about it. Work on it. 
And for some reason, I don't know why, um, this picture came up on my computer. I don't, I don't often look for impressionist painting, painters, by the way. It's not really my jam. Um, so bring up that picture, please, the first one. Yes, this is one of the most famous pictures of all time. It's water lilies. Claude Monet basically invented a new way of uh, painting because he could. Uh, and this was one of the ways in which he invented it. This is done. You may have seen this. Um, there's actually uh, one of these water lilies. He, he got really into water lilies. Like It was like a little weird how much he loved water lilies. And in St. Louis, there's an art museum in St. Louis that actually has a display of one of his water lily stuff. So if you're in St. Louis and you want to see some water lilies, there you go. Anyway, um, so this is, this is, you might have seen this. People have this in their house. You can buy this on Etsy for $59.99. Uh, you can do all kinds of stuff with this, right? But it's actually a portion of a much bigger picture. Let's see the next one. So, yeah, that's a little bigger than you were expecting. How many people had actually seen that part of Water Lilies before this moment right here? I'd seen the first one, like, oh, I know that. Vaughn's like, I know, because I like art. Uh, so it's a big old honking thing. Now show me the next one. Did you know that? He just kept on going with the Water Lilies. Like, I'm telling you, the guy had a thing. <laughs> right? what? He's did the, there's, like, there's a bunch more of these, actually, in different hues and whatnot. He was really playing with light and dark. and uh, He actually, you can see how dark those things are, but he never used the color black. Like, he was like, nope, not using it. And when he got a little more cocky later in his life, he was like, I'm not even using like dark brown. You know, I, I, he just started, kept on taking out uh, colors out of his palette and seeing how he could get light and dark to play off of each other. Well, before this, what he's kind of inventing this whole uh, art form uh, of is everything had to be hyper-realistic. Everything was, supposed, was kind of done in the dark in your, your own little studio, and you really were doing uh, kind of still lifes of people and, and objects and whatnot. And it wasn't fresh. It wasn't new. It didn't have any life to it. Well, Monet said, you know what? I want to go outside. Maybe he just was really tired of his studio partners. I don't know. But he wanted to go outside and he would go outside and set up at usually around dusk because that's when he liked when uh, light was playing off different things. And he would try to capture those moments. Well, he didn't capture them in big sweeping colors, like kind of like I would think you would do. Instead, he did little short brush strokes over and over and over and over again. Bring up the, uh, the first one, please, the smaller one, so we can like, kind of see it. But this isn't, you can tell it kind of looks a little wonky at this. Well, one, one of the reasons it looks wonky in this is because that's actually a much bigger project. When you stepped away from it, you're like, oh, that all works out really, really well. But what he does is short little um, brush strokes that are loaded with paint, just absolutely loaded with paint. It's really thick stuff. And what he did was he didn't mix colors. Before this, it was always like trying to mix your siennas with your azures and, and trying to find the perfect... I, you're like that, didn't you? Uh, so find the perfect color matches to make this new color that would, would bring your painting to life. He said, forget all that. I'm using blue, I'm using yellow. We're gonna smash them next to each other and then I'm gonna get the play in the light of the two of them being next to each other. He didn't, he didn't work on trying to create new colors. He said, I'm gonna use the colors that are in existence right now, the colors that appear in nature all over the place. I'm gonna use them and I'm gonna put them next to each other. That's why he doesn't use black because black doesn't actually appear very often in uh, nature. 
Like it's not true black. It's usually a dark purple or a dark blue, or whatever, but black doesn't uh, occur very often. So he said, I'm, I'm throwing it out. And so he used what, what was going on in life and put them next to each other, the light and the dark, the messy and the pretty, to make these beautiful short little brush strokes to create, now go back to the third, the big one. These are quarter inch to an inch brush strokes. Right? Carpal tunnel to the max. Right? And he's like, I don't know, I don't know how his, his method or whatever. Didn't get that far into it, Laura. Uh, so, but I just thought this was absolutely amazing. And as I studied the scripture, I went, Monet's got nothing on God. In his infinite creativity and the way he ties in different stories and the ways in which he weaves uh, just underlying currents in the scripture, that we are looking at a, a, paint, a painting of God in this and that we are living paintings. We are the canvases that he gets to paint his masterpiece on and this beautiful thing starts to happen as he weaves that together, as he plays the light and the dark off. And if you see here, what's going on in chapter eight and nine is the light and the dark is happening. You have the travesty of the persecution of Christians. You have the killing of Stephen. You have the, the heartache and all the nastiness that's going along with that. And then you have the obedience of the disciples. You have Philip going out and being a, a missionary, leading people to Christ. You have him kind of just jumping on someone's chariot and like, hey, how you doing? You know, that would be kind of creepy. Uh, so he's actually he's kind of like a hitchhiker, like, hey, have you met Jesus Christ today? Uh, so that's what, what happens here. Um, and he goes around and like all this amazing stuff starts to happen, but it's weaving in and out. So we've talked about it. Luke is the author of Acts, Dr. Luke. He's also the author of Luke. Really creatively named. Uh, so he is the author of Luke and Acts. They're, they're two letters written uh, together in your scripture. They have been separated. John got put in between them. I have no idea why that, that happened. Not a good idea. Like I have some ideas, but I don't know why it would have made a lot more flowy understanding of those two together. I had to pay money in college to learn that they were written by the same guy. And, and that. So you get my college education for free. Congratulations. Uh, all right. So uh, they are the same book. Um, or not the same book, but they're the same author. Two different books, kind of part one, part two, butted up against each other. Now, as we were reading this today, we're going to talk about three different happenings in the scripture. We're going to talk about Simon the Sorcerer, which is very interesting. There's three conversion uh, happenings here. Simon the Sorcerer. Um, and he is in Samaria. He comes to Jesus in a unique way and has a unique history. There's an Ethiopian that comes to Jesus. He's the uh, guy who picks up the hitchhiker, Philip. And he comes to Jesus. And it's an amazing story. And then the third one is Paul. Well, Saul at this time becomes Paul when he changes his name. Uh, the writer of a third of the New Testament. His conversion story is in this as well. It's a triplicate. Now, all throughout the scripture, triplicates are used. Luke really likes to use triplicates. What's a triplicate? It's a three. Three stories. One, two, three. Rapid fire. Boom. We don't get to understand what triplicates are very often because you guys have preachers like me who aren't looking for triplicates because that's too many words to read at one time on Sunday morning. So I'm going to just use one or part of one or one verse. 
Okay? So the disservice from the way in which the Western Christianity uses, just preaches, is you're going, what triplicate are you talking about? Three? I've only heard one. I've only heard half of one. Um, like, if you've heard of any of these three stories, you've heard of Paul being converted on the road to Damascus. It's kind of important. It's a pretty big deal. If you're going to take one of the three, that's probably the one you should read, right? But when you read all three of them together, you're like, whoa, there is a story. There's brushstrokes being put on the page. Now, knowing who the author is, there's Luke. Now, this was one of these moments. It may not mean anything to you today, this morning. But to me, in my office, I was like, avon, 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 avon. So there's that. Uh, we should just videotape. No, we shouldn't, because that would be. <laughs> it echoes back to Luke, where he builds, he crescendos into the importance of the story, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. This is, everybody pays attention to the lost son, the prodigal son. We all know that one. Who cares about a coin? Who cares about a sheep? Well, you know, those are pretty important, pretty amazing stories. The, the sheep that goes, well, he'd leave the 99 to go find you. That will preach. But you probably haven't heard that sermon in the triplicate form of lost coin, lost sheep, and lost son. Uh, I've done it once or twice just because I'm triplicate positive here, and we're working for it. Uh, but we, we go for it in that, and, and you understand it. But if you see, it's the same author using the same art form, using the same beauty of Hey, let's build this crescendo into the lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Oh, I can echo that and bring it right back. Here is Simon the sorcerer. Here is the Ethiopian. Here and crescendo into, this is how Paul became a Christian. Do you feel that? You see that? Um, you don't get that when you're not doing this, this slow crawl through the scripture. These are the things we, we miss. But it's added layers. Is that going to change someone's life that I just told you that? Probably not. You're not. Now I believe in Jesus because there were triplicates used. You know, that, that might not be that important on your, Jared, my life's falling apart. I don't care about triplicates. Cool. Got it. But to that, I say he is so infinitely creative, so infinitely artwork. That he sees your life as a canvas and these beautiful brushstrokes, that they may be dark brushstrokes at this moment, at this time, but there are light going to be counteracting that. And what, what we see only in these quick quarter brushstrokes, we get focused, hyper-focused on that. When actuality, there's this beautiful painting getting paid, made, this masterpiece of your life. When we zoom out, we get to see it. When we trust that the artist knows what he's doing, we get to see it. I have a hard time trusting that. I'm like, that brushstroke looked really bad. That one right there. I don't like it. This paint by numbers thing you're doing right now, not so good. Number 64, let's cut it out. Well, if we cut out that part, it loses beauty. If we cut out that part, it doesn't make the story what the story is. If we cut out all the parts we don't like, if we cut out all the dark blues from water lilies, guess what? We're not going to have a very pretty picture. The great artist is at work in our life, in your life. Let's see what he's doing here, all right? Um, I have no idea how many pages of notes I just went through. Uh, so... Let's get on Simon. There's some questions on Facebook this week about Simon the Sorcerer. Rightfully so. We should talk about Simon the Sorcerer. Simon is actually a magus. Magus. Not to be confused with magi. The magi are the guys that uh, come see Jesus when he's born, right? The magi are more astronomers, not magicians. 
Magus is basically a witch doctor. Okay, so this dude is, he's used to pulling crowds together to see how good and awesome he is. He's really good at manipulating crowds. He's really good at producing a factor to say, hey, come look at me, come look at me, come look at me. Uh, I, this is what he does for a living. This is the kind of stuff that he's involved in. So um, I don't want, the Magi, and, and there's different kinds of that stuff going on. This is kind of occulty stuff. This is witch doctory stuff. And so he's not... Uh, he's not dabbling in the, in the uh, you know, card tricks here. Right? So there's, there's kind of some, some kind of nasty stuff going on here. Um, and that's what he's about. And once you understand that, you go, okay, now I have a little more foundation for him. Because why can we be so happy about the Magi and not so happy about Simon the Sorcerer? Why does Simon the Sorcerer seem to get a bad rap? Simon, is, Philip is preaching. Simon uh, comes to Jesus, believes in Jesus, and is baptized along with a bunch of other Samaritans. And then Peter and John come out and are start baptizing people and, and, and talking to people and baptizing them with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has come, comes upon them. And this is a, a, an interesting interchange that, that happens. People with Peter and John, they're healing people and, and, and all kinds of amazing stuff starting to happen. And Simon the sorcerer is like, all right, I got Jesus. That was cool. I understand that part. And he, he says, take my money. He throws his cash at, at Peter and says, give me what you got. I need that. Now we can reflect and go, why is he doing that? Is he out of the yearning to have the Holy Spirit in his life and be led by the Holy Spirit? He knows everything else that I want in life I have to throw money at. Give me that. That's what, what I'm going to do. Maybe that's, that's what it is. That's kind of a nice way of looking at, at Simon. Also, but how Peter interprets it is, you're a big jerk. You're not going to get this. This is not for you. You can't throw money at the Holy Spirit. You can't throw, like, that's not how this works. It's not a transaction of how you get the Holy Spirit. You don't hold your tongue right, throw more money at it, do this, that, and the other thing, and get it. No, 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 no. It is a yearning. It is a coming after God in this moment. And you, you have some heart issues. We see in 8 chapter, uh, verse 17, then Peter and John placed their hands on them. This is the people that had already accepted Christ through Philip. And they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Give me this, also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. Time out. Because which doctor used to get in the crowds from everybody? Like, oh, if I add this trick to my tool bag... Think of how much money I'm going to make this way. Now, that is the most, like, painting him in the worst light possible. He's probably somewhere in between. He just doesn't under, like, if he's accepted Christ, he's accepted Christ. He's trying to make God Lord of his life. He doesn't know what that means, but he's so mired in his own stuff to be like, ah, take my money, give me that. It's not the point. It's not a transaction. You cannot buy the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive you of having such a thought in your heart. For I see you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now this is important to understanding Simon. He's still not taking ownership of it. He's like, you do it. You, you got the lay of the hands thing. 
You apparently, God's going to listen to you more. You, you do it. He's not taking ownership of it and it causes a problem. Now, if you study, when you go back in the scripture, you're like, man, poor Simon looks like he's getting a little bit of a bad rap here if we look at this. I'm going to be honest with you. As an American, I'm like, I identify with Simon because there is a, not a problem that an American can't think they can throw money at and try to fix. Like that, that's what we do. Fix healthcare, throw some money at it. Fix education, throw some money at it. Doesn't mean we have to like train our teachers better or give them you know, supplies. Just throw money at it. Make our churches better. Here's some money. We have this happen at the ballpark. My kid needs a better coach. Here's a, here's a sponsorship. That's not going to make the coach any better. It's still a dad. <laughs> there is nobody else. But like, I don't know what to tell you. You just throw money at it. And so my question for you this morning is when you chase after God, are you going making God some sort of commodity? If I just give more at church, maybe God will bless me in some way. If I just do something more, God will bless me more. If I just hold my teeth right in a better way, will God bless me more? That is not the concept in which we're going for. You may have been taught, been guilted into giving more at the church for some different ways. I'm very, very clear with how we teach about money. I want something for you, not something from you. I want you, like what Kevin was talking about so beautifully today, talking about, no, 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 it's about rearranging your life to bless, to be blessed by God and to, to bless God in this. Not because, oh, if I do this, because at 9%, God's not going to not, God's not gonna bless me. But it was, once I hit that magic 10%, boom, all the blessings from the Lord. No! Which is thank, I'm thankful for, because I stink at math. I've had those thoughts. I was a lot younger. Like maybe these things are happening to me because I, I, I did, I didn't tithe the right amount of money. God does not care about the decimal point. He cares about your heart. And Simon's got some heart issues. We know this because, um, <clears throat> in a pseudepigraphal book, that's a fun word. Use that three times in a sentence today. Uh, but. And Peter, in the, 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 the book that may, Peter may have written uh, that didn't make it into the scripture, there's a bunch of these books, there's 30 or so of them, that they don't, there's all kinds of reasons, and we could do a Bible class on why they don't make it in the scripture. Um, but for right now, just trust me, it wasn't good enough to make it in the Bible, okay? Um, but what it, what it, if it's written by Peter, the real point of it is actually this guy, Simon, and Peter going back and forth, and they're fighting over a heresy. Simon... Uh, is talked about by Justin the Martyr, one of the church far, fathers. Um, he's after these guys. But he's talking about, yes, Simon was a believer in Jesus Christ. But he also basically created the first heresy, the first split. He, it was over this idea of the Holy Spirit. He could not figure out how the Holy Spirit worked in all this. He believed in Jesus, but the rest of he's just like, no, that can't. That. And so for the rest of the days, he basically followed Peter around and was a pain in Peter's side wherever he went. Peter started preaching. Simon's like, oh, yeah, he'd do some sort of trick and get people to start looking at him. And he'd try to divide the church right then. I'm sure Peter took that really well, knowing his personality. Um, but that's what happened. And so Simon becomes this, yes, you believe in Jesus, but man, you are causing so many problems. And it's still over this. His heart never did get right in this moment. Because he always thought he could buy, he could always control, do something to obtain the Holy Spirit. For you and for me this morning, 
It takes some soul searching. It takes probably some journaling, some thinking, some bouncing it off some friends, other mature Christians' friends. Am I guilty of this? And I say that not to tell you, ah, that's your problem, is no, we've got to check our hearts. In some way, are we trying to manipulate God to get what we want? I know I've been guilty of this. And I think the American church, Western Christianity, is very, very susceptible to this. Because we have so much. You may go, Jared, I am poor. Fair enough. But the poorest person in America is richer than like 90% of the rest of the country, or world. Because we have so much, we don't, we don't get this. And so I ask the question, how is your heart? How is your heart? Is it surrendered fully to God? Is it working out of obedience to what he has for us? Simon has an eagerness to obtain the Holy Spirit, which is a beautiful thing, except this word, word, obtain. And I know, I know I have fallen into this same spot. I want to hold it. I want to have it. So then my life will be boom, 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 boom. Because if I can grab a hold and, and I know I have the Holy Spirit, then I don't have to worry about how my preaching is going to go. If I can hold on to the Holy Spirit, then, then this is going to happen and that's going to happen. But that's not it. It's how does the Holy Spirit move in me? How do I reside inside and with the Holy Spirit? How do I move towards it, not that it moves towards me? That is a posture change. That is a mentality change. That is a soul care change. Our next guy. I told you I could talk for like 18 hours on this. But the next guy is the Ethiopian. And this guy is often uh, overlooked, I think, sometimes in, in our stories. And it is really a great story. It's actually really important. And it's actually in today's, uh, in, in America's religious and political and cultural climate, this story and this happening is incredibly important. And especially if you are an uh, African-American who lives in this country, this is incredibly important at this moment. Um, and I'll tell you why in a second. Because Ethiopians, they're black. You got that right? Like it's, it's like coal black. Like black, 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 black. Ethiopians. One of the first Christians. In fact, this guy right here that, that gets saved through Philip and, and goes, to, uh, goes back home, <clears throat> he's, a, a, he's like the head of the treasury for the queen of Ethiopia, a position of power and a position of influence. Smacks a lot of, where have you kind of heard that before? He, he sm- sounds a little bit like Joseph, right, uh, it, doing this. And so uh, this Ethiopian has this position of influence, has this position of power, because if you were trusted with all the money that the, the government has, I'm pretty sure people will listen to you, right? So this guy goes back to Ethiopia, and he starts to talk and, and proselytize and uh, have converts to uh, to Christianity, and it starts Coptic Christianity, which is its own beautiful Christian movement in Africa that exists from the first century. Why that's important to us to this day is because there's a movement that goes on and goes, wait a minute, why, especially in, in, our, in, our, in our black brothers and sisters, uh, in the culture wars that we have right now, saying, why should we accept Christianity that was forced upon us when we came over and were uh, slaves? And so then you have all this wounding and hurt that you place on Christianity um, because of, of the story. 
I get that. If, but that's historically not actually true. One of the very first Christians ever became a missionary to Ethiopia uh, and started a whole different beautiful um, uh, realization of what Christianity was. And so um, that's not something to beat somebody over the head with, but it's also very valuable to know that this gorgeous, beautiful um, tradition is important, and it started from the very beginning uh, through the Ethiopian. And I love it because of the attitude in which the Ethiopian has. The Ethiopian's trying to read. Um, he's, he's a Jewish follower, and uh, he could be, this could be, a, there's a, a bunch of people, when the temple was destroyed, one of the times, Jewish people, they ran and they went to Ethiopia. And so there's this Jewish kind of enclave in Ethiopia that were like, where did you come from? And then there's also, um, there's a, a thought that in Ethiopia, the Ark of the Covenant's actually in Ethiopia, like to this day, um, on an island in the middle of this lake in Ethiopia, um, because people went, went that way. Um, but because of that, and because of that, that history, there was Jewish followers that might not have been Jewish, but they were Jew, Gentile Jews, um, and they would come and came to Pentecost, or not Pentecost, sorry, no, it was Pentecost, came to the Feast of Weeks, came to Jerusalem to be a part of that, and he's on his way back uh, home, and so that's why he's even there. So he's already got Jewish roots, or at least Jew, Jewish flavoring, or Jewish interest. He may not be a full Jew, he may, all these things, but uh, he's got a little... little piqued his interest in this moment. And so he's reading out of the book of Isaiah, and he's reading it out loud. Now, we've t- talked about this a lot. You don't read scripture to your, by yourself. And you shouldn't read scripture all the time by yourself either. Do it in community. And so he's begging for community because he's reading this scroll out loud while riding around on a chariot. This dude wants to know about God. Right? Talk about, I get motion sick, you know, if the windows, the corn's going by too much, this guy's like, the shocks aren't that great on those chariots. Maybe the next year's model would have been better. But anyway, uh, so he's talking about this, and Philip is walking down the road, and he hears Isaiah being uh, read. He's like, well, hello, sir. Would you like to know what you're reading? Yes! I would like to know what I'm reading. Who is he talking about? What's going on here? And it's the suffering servant passage about how his, about how Jesus is going to be um, beaten and, and put on the cross and all, all this stuff's going to happen. Like, well, let me tell you what that's about. And he talks about Jesus and leads him to Christ right there and they're going down the chariot and kind of going, here, you know what you need to do to accept Christ? You need to repent and be baptized. Okay, well, how do we do this? And they're going down. We are in Israel, by the way. There's not a lot of water. He looks over and he sees a ditch. There's water. Let's go. I absolutely love it. Where's the water? That's his question. Not the excuses. Not, man, I'm too important for this. I'm too powerful for this. I don't know about all the ramifications for this. What's in it for me? I need to look good in front of these other servants. Look at me. I'm like the second most powerful person in this country. No, no, no. Where's the ditch? Where's the water? Let me go get dunked right now. Do you see the heart change? And so when you push that against uh, Simon going... Well, let me give you some money and I can get a hold of that. That's not the heartbeat at all. It's like, no, let me jump in. Well, slow down. Okay, you can dunk yourself twice, whatever you need to do. You know, I just can imagine the attitude difference in this. And so that's where the Ethiopian comes from. I love it. Look, here's the water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Okay. Yeah, right? 
In fact, we're going to have one of those moments next week. We're going to be baptizing some people next week. I know we just baptized some people a couple weeks ago. Guess what? I'll do it every week if people want to get baptized. Uh, so if you want to get baptized next week, we are doing that next week. Um, the, Peter's first message says, how do I accept Christ as my Lord and Savior? Repent and be baptized. If you want to follow in that example, that is available to you. You can call me, Carrier Pigeon, Facebook, whatever you'd like. I'll talk to me after service. I'd love to talk to you about that. But that's what the Ethiopian does. This rambunctious, beautiful, I don't care what anybody else thinks, what's going on, there's the water, I want to follow, I want to be obedient, I'm diving in in this moment. And what happens because of his reckless abandonment from chasing after God is he is actually the founder of a whole different tradition of Christianity because of his obedience and his jumping in a ditch to get baptized. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's amazing. The next one is actually what I'm going to spend the least amount of time on this week and probably hit it pretty hard next week. So we have the third story. Sorry, I've got a note for you. The Ethiopian has an eagerness to participate in what, God, what Jesus has for him. Ethiopian has an eagerness to participate in what Jesus has for him. We can apply that to our own lives. That can be our own brushstrokes, and that can be a part of our story. The third story is a conversion of Paul, and all kinds of amazing, beautiful things happen in this. But we're going to center on verse 17 of chapter 9. Then Ananias, totally different Ananias than the, the one we talked about two weeks ago. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained strength. This is the same Saul, the same man who has been persecuting the Christian faith. What did it say earlier? He ravaged the Christians. He's the one that oversaw the stoning of Stephen. This is the guy, the problem child that is beating down the Christians as they try to start this fledgling new movement of following after Jesus. He is struck by a blinding light on the road to Damascus and he can't see. His eyes are open, but he can't see anything out of it. And his friends kind of take him to this house, and for three days he's blind. And in this moment, God's working on his heart and changing who he is. And I love, there's so many heroes of this story, but this Ananias is one of these unsung heroes. Because could you imagine, this is the guy. This is the Gestapo dude. This is the scary, scary man. He kills my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what he does. And I'm going to go into his house. Hey, buddy. I love how he, he prefaces it. Um, I'm going to touch you now. Um, Brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus, who blinded you on the road. It wasn't who, the Lord Jesus who blinded you on the road. Remember that happening? You cool? You cool? Okay, we're still good? All right. That guy who appeared to you on the road as we're coming here, has sent me to you. That guy, that guy, he sent, he sent me. Don't start throwing rocks in my head. All right? And I want to fill you, be a part of filling you with the Holy Spirit in this 
moment. I just love that because if you read the story, like, yeah, Ananias is full of boldness. He's ready to rock and roll. He's going to do this. Good Lord, send me anywhere. I would just be just like Ananias. No, he's like, okay, you remember the story, the thing, the stuff? Don't kill me. Uh, And there we go. Because that's, I I just think sometimes we we put hero worship on some of these happenings and we don't see the gut-wrenching heartburn that some of these guys had. And I'm sure Ananias was, was, was feeling his flawful, right? He was, he was struggling with that, that moment. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. The obedience of Ananias to face these difficult situations is a brushstroke that we often miss when we go to the other things, but it's important and beautiful and sets the stage for the rest of the canvas that Paul is going to paint, that Jesus is going to paint through Paul. And it, Paul, through being obedient to Christ, is going to change the rest of the Mediterranean world. It says something about small brushstrokes and big brushstrokes. They're all important. They're all valuable. And they all complete the masterwork of Christ. Paul, in this moment, has an eagerness for God. It's just an eagerness in the wrong way. Paul is a, is a student of Gamaliel. And if you read a couple weeks ago, Gamaliel is one of the leading rabbis of the day. Uh, he is basically studying under Gamaliel is like going to Harvard of the day. And that's Paul's rabbi. That's who he's trying to be like. That's who he spent years following after. Gamaliel at the Sanhedrin says, hey, we don't need to do anything. We don't need to kill these guys. We don't need to go beat them. We don't need to do anything. If it's from God, it's going to last. If it's not from God, they're going to peter out. Don't worry about it. That was Gamaliel's official stance in the scripture forever. Paul, the student of Gamaliel, goes, you know what I'm going to do? My teacher is wrong. I'm going to chase these guys down however I possibly can. I just think that was interesting. That's something we, we missed. But if he's a student of Gamaliel and he was following his rabbi, he would never would have been stoning Stephen. He never would have been chasing Christians around. Instead, he got really upset, apparently, with his mentor and said, you know what, I'm going to go do my own thing right now. All of these happenings, that, the, the statement of Gamaliel's in the scripture for a reason. The, who, that, the statement that Paul was a student of Gamaliel is in the scripture for a reason. It's painting the brushstroke. It's the art form. It's just like the triplicates being repeated over and over again. Because God is a master artist. And he's painting this gorgeous painting that you and I get to be a part of. That you and I not only get to read, but we get to participate in as a follower of Christ. Whatever is going on in our lives, the stories that we have, the bad stories, the good stories, the difficult times, and the best of times, all work together to paint this gorgeous picture that God wants to work in your life. So whatever you're dealing with today, I hope out of obedience, not out of manipulation that Simon would have tried, but out of obedience to God and reckless abandon. Where's the water? What are you painting today, Lord? We can go before God and say, what masterwork are you trying to create in my life? Even though I may not understand the brushstrokes of today, even though I may not even understand the three by five I get to see, I want to be a part of your masterwork. That's beautiful and all-encompassing and that changes the world. That's what God is inviting us to do. And inviting us to be a part of. Let's pray this morning.
God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we ask you to be with us. We ask you to guide us. We ask you to direct us in the self-reflection of how is our heart? How have we tried to make you a commodity that can be bought and be sold? Lord, I'm just heavy with that thought that it's easy for me to point the finger at someone else. It's easy for me to tell someone else that's their problem. But Lord, can I examine myself in this moment to see if I've tried to do that with you? Lord, instead, I want to chase after you. I want to be open to your move. I want to ask, where's the water? For reckless abandon, chase, and be obedient and available to your move, to you. God, in this moment, in this time, that I would submit myself to your brushstrokes. Even though I may not understand it, even though sometimes it may be painful, it may look like a mess, to trust that you are painting a gorgeous masterpiece. Lord, with submission, I give you my heart and I give you my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. You all have a fantastic week. I hope this week is a week of reflection. It is a week of reading the scripture in a new way. Maybe you need to go look at some fancy art and go, oh, that's pretty cool. God's amazing. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you all the days of your life. You are dismissed. Go with God. Bye. Thanks for joining us at church this week. And a special thanks to all those who continue to support our mission through your generosity. You too can support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community by giving on the website or through the app. To make sure you never miss out on a message, be sure to subscribe. And don't forget to hit that share button to spread the word. Have a great week.